Radiotopia. Welcome to the Kitchen Sisters present PRX. We're the Kitchen Sisters, Davia Nelson and Nikki Silva. Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. The Kitchen Sisters Present is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Big Basin, I remember, this thing that I always loved was this giant slice of a redwood log. You know, each ring on a redwood tree marked a year, and you could touch the rings and feel the passage of time and the ancientness of the tree. That log also had little date markers riveted into it, and it started with the birth of Christ at the center of the narrative, the coronation of Charlemagne, William the Conqueror, the Crusaders, Marco Polo, Columbus discovers America, Balboa discovers the Pacific, a landing of the pilgrims. It was an imperial narrative celebrating conquest, celebrating slavery. Monuments express whatever values we have at the time they're put up, and then that narrative of history, it's in the air, it's normalized. When the fires happened, that redwood tree slice burned to the ground along with its date markers. In August 2020, more than 12,000 lightning strikes exploded across Northern California, igniting some 585 wildfires. In the Santa Cruz Mountains, scattered blazes grew into one massive burning organism, the CZU August Lightning Complex fire, eating all in its path, scorching some 86,000 acres, destroying over 900 homes and Big Basin, California's first Redwood State Park. In the aftermath, we turned our microphone on the region looking for what was lost and what has been found since lightning struck. Today, the Kitchen Sisters present What Fire Reveals, stories from the CZU August Lightning Complex fires. We begin in the dark of the early morning hours of Sunday, August 16th, 2020. It was so hot. We just pulled a blow-up bed outside. We woke up and saw the skies illuminating. I've never seen anything like that. We couldn't sleep, so we drove down to the cliff to see those lightnings, like a web, show itself across the ocean was beautiful. The lightning was out on the horizon. Then this huge burst of wind pushed us back. It felt like it was actually hitting us. It went from beautiful to eerie. Then we were like, 
we need to go home. My name is Tamar Ingber. I work at Pie Ranch, the farm stand. I lived on Swanton Road. The house totally burned to ashes. My name is Steve Pizzo. I've lived up on Bonnie Dune for over 50 years. I'm a retired firefighter. Come Monday, I started smelling the smoke, and I ran into a friend of mine who was on Cal Fire. He looked at me and he just shook his head and he goes, it's bad. We've got over 300 lightning fires around the state. We're stretched thin right now. I got a bad feeling about this. Over the years of being a fireman, I was on the Lexington Fire in the 80s. I was on the Oakland Hills Fire in the 90s, but nothing like this. We've been in a 10-year prolonged drought. The ground cover was anywhere from four to five feet thick. That place hasn't been burned, really burned, since the 50s. The first time I noticed it, I just walked outside like, it's 11 o'clock. It should be sunny. What's going on? The sky just started looking orange and orange until it got like black. My name is Abigail. We live in Wild Ranch State Park area. My parents, they work in the fields. My mom was working up in Suwanton. She could smell the smoke. She could see the ashes falling down. And they're all wondering, like, are we okay here? Like, is, this, is are we fine? Nobody was in control of anything. I went to Twitter, to the police station Twitter account. And that's how I found an app to show us how the oxygen levels were and how bad it could get. I was just wondering, like, should we leave? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? The cops did end up coming to our doorstep. At least for me, I'm terrified of the police. Like, I know that they're there to protect us, but from history, it's it's scary. Being somebody of color, it's um, having the police in front of your door is like something you kind of never want to see. Uh, but luckily, they were all super sweet and nice. And what the lady who spoke Spanish, she talked to my parents and us. We have to go, this is serious. But we also had to let them know that we weren't the only ones living in this area. We have neighbors living in like RVs and where all the workers live. They told us that they didn't even know that we were here and we have a mailbox and they don't. Live news desk monitoring a huge wildfire this August. Lightning complex started on Sunday, but really blew up last night. 12,000 lightning strikes. Boulder Creek, Santa Cruz Mountain Basin State Bonnie doing it has been a night of frantic evacuation. It became pretty cataclysmic quickly. The fire was picking up momentum to the point where it was burning a thousand acres an hour. I'm Mark Hilkema, supervisor of cultural resource program, Santa Cruz District State Parks. Cal Fire, they had their trucks parked in front of our historic structures, Big Basin State Park. They were hosing, you know, the big trees, like the auto tree, which was now looking like a furnace, bright red. Our historic structures, they sprayed water on it, kept spraying it, till the paint started blistering on their vehicles. They had to get out. As soon as they turned the hoses off, the buildings exploded. All of the buildings were consumed. I was called to go over to our state park headquarters in Henry Cowell up in Felton. We have an archaeology lab there. My name is Martin Rizzo Martinez, state park historian for the Santa Cruz District. We started packing up box after box of artifacts, historical objects, mortars, arrowheads. There's been archaeology going on in the Santa Cruz Mountains for the last hundred years. And this includes some remains that we've been talking with the tribes to repatriate and things that are really important, irreplaceable. 
We have another historic core called Cascade Ranch at Andy Nuevo State Park. I was there as the fire was coming down the canyon towards it. That night, our resource crew fought that fire there till they ran out of water. All the old growth cypress trees, the cookhouse, the bunkhouse, a huge old growth redwood barn, it all lit. One house was spared. And that's where we've been housing the Amamutsen tribe. We have a partnership with the Amamutsen to do the land management with us. Cascade Ranch, the, the fire came down very close. This is an old historic house that was built in the 1860s. There is some fire damage there, but it didn't burn down. That's where our people were staying. We have a stewardship court as part of our land trust, and they actively work on the lands every day to restore the coastal prairies, to bring back indigenous burning methods, to do the smaller cultural burns that could prevent those large catastrophic fires. My name is Valentin Lopez. I'm the chairman of the Ama Mutsun Tribal Band, president of the board of directors of the Ama Mutsun Land Trust. We're on State Park's property, tribal territory of the Kiroste tribe, a very powerful tribe. The Kiroste took care of these lands 10, 12, 15,000 years or more. When those early explorers on the boats came by, they looked at the coast of California. They said that the landscape of California was just a beautiful mosaic of different colors, of different plants. But they thought there was just pure random. They did not realize that there was intentional stewardship of the lands that resulted in that mosaic. Before Europeans came, the tribes here, they're manipulating the land by burning it regularly. By burning the grasslands, they both improved the seed harvest for the following year, as well as the browse for the animals they hunted that grazed on those grasslands, the deer, the elk, the pronghorn. Our ancestors saw fire as being a gift from Creator to help in stewarding and managing landscapes. It also prevented the buildup of fuel loads that would result in catastrophic fires. The Amamutsen are training their young people. They created a native stewards corps to learn how to use the chainsaws, certified them in heavy equipment use, so we could beat down the poison oak and all this brush that's come in since nobody's been burning it culturally for you know almost 200 years. Trying to restore that traditional knowledge is our goal. Before the fires, we had a place to stay at Cascade Ranch. All that's burnt except for the house, and it's not livable right now. Nancy Vale, who runs Pie Ranch, is always gracious to us and invited us, our stewardship, to stay out here. They had a lot of devastation also. My name is Eleanor Castro. I'm with the Amamunta Tribal Band. I'm an elder out here with the stewards. Most of them come Sunday night. We have tents out here and they work here, camp here until Friday afternoon. And then we all go back to our prospective homes, Fresno and Madera area. We're all scattered. Our families can never afford to live here. All the colonizers who came here, you know, they called us lazy and diggers. Our belief is that Creator put us here to take care of the land. This is the area where Portola Expedition, the first Spanish overland expedition, passed through in 1769. The Spanish described this big roundhouse there, a ceremonial house, like a dance house, that could fit 200 people in it. 
When they got up to that area, they were in bad shape. They were starving, dying of scurvy, and the Kiroste took them in, they fed them. They're describing these seed cakes with honey, berries, and seeds, really interesting foods. There were plantings, there were fields, there were gardens up there. I've walked in that area in my whole life. I went to Girl Scout camp up that road. I'm Dana Frank, professor of history emerita at the University of California, Santa Cruz. I've written about the history of Big Basin State Park and the history of California. That I would never have known that this was an important native site says something about what histories get erased and which get remembered. The Kuriste we know about through the mission records, they were the first to resist missionization. In those days, the Santa Cruz Mountains was kind of like very dark and you know mysterious to the settlers. There were grizzly bears there and redwoods and native people still hiding from the missionaries. Mission Santa Cruz baptized about 2,500 native people in the 40 years that it was in operation. About 90% died during those mission years. They would get punished, put into stocks, whipped nearly to death, psychological torment. Fire was used as a tool of resistance by native people. The adobe buildings were made with thatched roofs. Native peoples would use flaming arrows, fire arrows, as a weapon against colonial settlements. In Santa Cruz, they burned down a couple of the buildings. Right around that same time, 1793, the first prohibition of fires comes out of Mission Santa Barbara. There's a law that's put down, a circular sent out that says, you know, we prohibit Native people from lighting fires out in the woods. Fire became prohibited by Spanish, later Mexican, and then American eras too. When the colonizers outlawed fire, that allowed the coastal shrubs to come into the coastal prairie. That would be followed by the dug fir, followed by the redwood trees. It was just converted to one of the most biodiverse landscapes in North America. Those plants represented our foods, our medicines, our basketry, our materials for housing, for clothing, for ceremony. I am Gabriel Pineda, tribal member. I am the Squadabas crew leader for the Amamutsa Land Trust. Giosta Valley, doing fuel reductions, we'll take chainsaws and McLeods and loppers, and we'll put chaps on, hard hats, and then we'll say a prayer and then get to work. When we chop down the trees, we make burn piles, and then later on in the wet season, we go burn those piles. This work actually saved my life, really, to tell you the truth. Being out here in nature, and I was like in a dark place at a time in my life, and I, w I wasn't the perfect person, but being out here is like if you're free, like your, your soul's free, like you have no worries. Our tribe was taken to San Juan Batista and Santa Cruz missions to build them. I want to say we were enslaved. They eventually released the tribe from the mission. Our homes were taken away. And at that time, the state of California was putting bounties on native people. They were killing them, putting bounties. They wanted to get rid of us. Our ancestors, our grandmothers, our grandfathers, they didn't want to be killed. So they hid within the Mexican people. So we had to be Castros and Gonzaleses and Garcias so that we can blend in and wouldn't be murdered. You know, we didn't know our traditions and our culture anymore. We lost contact of who we were. I'm 39 now and I didn't find out till I was like 17 I was native. I always thought I was Mexican. That's the way I grew up. My grandfather kept it a 
secret. His parents were both native and they told him to say he was a Mexican. He had to hide his identity. My great-grandmother was Alma Mutsen. When I started learning more about my culture, it actually made me feel that I belong to something. The music, the, the singing, that's where my, my heart belonged to. When I came back to see the devastation of the fires, it, it hurt me very badly because being here on our, our land, it means a lot to us. But as a native person, seeing these fires gives me hope for the future. The fire burned a lot of the invasive plants we have our program, the propagation of native plants. So this is a little bit of hope that our plants will come back. The Big Basin State Park, the oldest state park in California, one of the crown jewels of the Santa Cruz Mountains, is unrecognizable. The visitor center, nearly 100 years old, is no more. The nature lodge, the campfire center, sifting through the rubble that was left from the old museum, trying to see what we could find. There was a taxidermy room. There was a state park taxidermist back in the, the 50s and 60s at his old office. We found the remnants of these taxidermied animals. The animals themselves had completely burned. All that was left were in steel frames, the shape of an animal grafted into the, the bones. The big basin I remember, this thing that I always loved was this giant slice of a redwood log. You know, each ring on a redwood tree marked a year and you could touch the rings and feel the passage of time and the ancientness of the tree. That log also had little date markers riveted into it and it started with the birth of Christ at the center of the narrative, the coronation of Charlemagne, William the Conqueror, the Crusaders, Marco Polo, Columbus discovers America, Balboa discovers the Pacific, a landing of the pilgrims. It was an imperial narrative celebrating conquest, celebrating slavery. Monuments express whatever values we have at the time they're put up, and then that narrative of history, it's in the air, it's normalized. When the fires happened, that redwood tree slice burned to the ground along with its date markers. Fires can destroy things, but they can also reveal things. After the fire, going through and finding what trees are in danger, somebody found silver platters, ornate forks and spoons, antique ladles, falling out of three different large, hollowed-out redwood stumps. Hundreds of pieces of silverware. Multiple mansions worth. Tureens, coffee urns. Candlestick holders galore, silver trays nested together. The fire had opened up the root system and the weight of the silver had pushed down and started to flow out of the stumps. Clearly this is booty from somebody's heist. I imagine that somebody somewhere still has some treasure maps with the little X marks on these stumps. Fires can destroy things but they can also reveal things that would have been hidden. When I think of the whole round from an old redwood that has these dates burned to a crisp, I think there is an opportunity here. The fire opens up some areas to reconsider the history and to tell it in a different way. Talking about issues related to climate change and how important it is to restore indigenous sustainable ways. It's the age of climate crisis and the age of being inclusive. 
The Karosti Valley Cultural Preserve, where we've been working with the Amamutsan tribe to manage the land, taking out the invasive pampas grass, beating back the brush. Well, the fire raged through there too, but you know what? It did not burn the valley. It went around it. As a way to begin talking about the impact of this historic event, people who lost their homes were invited to bring artifacts salvaged from the ashes to the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History to be photographed by photographer Schmuel Thaler. The Kitchen Sisters were asked to record people's stories about what was lost in the fires and what was revealed. I brought my flute, and these two things are... Bombillas, which are the things you use in Uruguay to drink mate. And this one was mine, and this one was Rolo's, my grandson's. My name is Jennifer Cordery. I lived on Swanton Road. I'm from Uruguay. I've been in Santa Cruz for over 40 years. The house was in the woods, you know, with a creek nearby. It had a lot of great windows and light, which I'm a painter. All my paintings, all my drawings, all my art supplies, it all burnt down. You know, we've been back a few times with Rolo, my grandson. He, he wanted, he was excited to be a little archaeologist and found things. Um, it, it's an old truck of mine that we found. In Swanton, that Tata's broken down house. It's probably a water truck, or a gas truck, or an oil truck, one of those. You know, this is one of my grandson's trucks, which survived, in a way. Um, it's been hard for him, for him, he's five and a half, almost six. My daughter would bring him in the morning, and he'd, we'd stay till the cows came home. <laughs> so for him, it was a place of freedom, of, of playing and we had the creek and we had all his trucks and Legos and books and toys that all burnt. I just told him, I mean, he was, I just said, you know, Swanton is burnt. The first thing he said to me, you know, something that can't burn, he said, it's the stories you told me. He says, and that can never burn. Swanton was a place, but the connection is with me, so the place is me too. So this was my grandma's roasting pan from, I think, the 50s. These are his, my grandpa's speed skates. This is my travel mug, so this is a, you know, daily companion. My name is Luke Bailey. I'm a park interpreter for Santa Clara County Parks. My house was at, in Boulder Creek, um, in the Memory Lane neighborhood. I brought several of the symbols that I evacuated with, the reminders of my values and what my dreams were 
before the fire. I put soil in a jar. Um, soil and madrone leaves and redwood leaves and yeah, pre-burned dirt. The soil's changed. I, you know, I learned from the Resource Conservation District that when the soil burns, it changes. The forest at home this is the last thing that I'm worried about. I know that the forest is gonna be okay. I recognize that our landscapes evolved with wildfire. Mother Nature is resetting herself. That's what fire is, she is resetting herself. By its nature, it is a restorative process. To me, if I rebuild, I, I am left with the question of, is it responsible for me to rebuild in the wildland urban interface? There's never gonna be guarantees. And that's what stops me. It's like, this is a low point in my life, man. This is trauma. Why would I do that again? And at the same time, you know, mountain communities throughout the West are facing this dilemma. If there's any area in the country that rallies behind landscapes, it's the San Francisco Monterey Bay areas. If I could treat a rebuild as a project that could model how we can live in forests more wisely, I can tap into that hope because this place means so much to me. So I'm just holding all of it. My name is Tamar Ingber. I work at Pie Ranch, the farm stand. I lived on Swanton Road. There was the old dairy houses, and that was the neighborhood I lived in. Um, we didn't do any sifting of the property, um, but some pottery and metal pieces kind of floated to the top. So this is my bowl. It is perfectly wabi-sabi, <laughs> and it's the only bowl that I successfully made in my pottery glass. <laughs> so it was my favorite one to put olives in or have a tiny little bowl to eat. The fire has given it like a patina, a little bit of blushing pink, and all of these hairline cracks. Um, so when I found a bowl that I made, um, it felt important to pick that up and honor that. We were looking for my mom's wedding ring, which we didn't find, but we did find this was my mom's. My name is Lily Karina. I was born in Last Chance. So my daughter would be second generation last chancer. My house and also my father's house and the houses of our two neighbors were all there. You know, out of 70 or 80 families maybe, there's only a handful of houses by the front of the road that survived. I mean, everyone had to run for their lives to get out of there. Uh, one neighbor spent the night in his pond, and then eventually it was uh, just one person who did end up passing away up in Last Chance, Tad. He was a unique local character. I mean, losing your, your possessions is obviously a huge thing to process, but this other 
aspect of loss, like the loss of the community, the, the forest looking so devastated, and then this kind of frustration that, you know, why couldn't we have had more of a warning to get out of there? Um, you know, it, it's hard, I think, for any community that has to get left behind in one of these really catastrophic wildfires to reckon with, well, why wasn't Cal Fire there? Or why didn't the sheriff come and evacuate my friends and tell them they needed to leave? You know, those are like, as much as your logical mind understands that things were frantically happening in the middle of a disaster, your, your emotional body is just really affected by that failure of what you think of as your safety net. When we did the sifting, we had the nonprofit organization Samaritan's Purse come and help us. Just to know that you had tried looking for things before they come with bulldozers and scrape the house sites and take everything away. I just thought, if I don't at least look, then I'm always going to wonder what might have been there. This is called Trickster or Coyote Woman. From one side, it looks like a coyote twisted in its mane. And as you turn it, you find that the coyote is a cloak skin around the body of an old woman, a shamaness. My name's Linnea Dunn. Been a resident of Bonnie Dune since 1996. I started up there as a software engineer and then retired. Um, some of the artifacts may, you know, indicate that. I'm a witch. I've been a Wiccan priestess for 40 years. My degree's in physics, and physics is magic. Software's magic. It's all the mysteries, you know, trying to figure out what's underneath the surfaces of everything we see. The last project I did before I retired was I was working on Google Maps, which everybody uses every day. So it's part of exploring nature. Part of my spiritual path is connecting with the earth. That's why I lived up there, and that's why I'm going back. I'm 69 years old. I've been acquiring interesting, wonderful things, art, paintings, photographs. They have to just basically scrape the whole house into trucks and haul it off to a landfill. These pots made it. I kept small bits of the ashes of dear friends that have passed. There's Roz, and there was Allison, and there was Lee in vessels about four like this. When I dug these things out, I spread them out in the trees so they didn't get cleared away and taken away. So now when I go back, that land has the ashes of my ancestors. Part of that land really needed a fire. It didn't need one like that, but fire's part of that ecology. Fire is part of that land, and we need to learn to live with it. I first came to Santa Cruz in 1990 
after the Grateful Dead New Year's Eve shows at the Oakland Coliseum. <laughs> so I was part of that traveling gypsy circus of deadheads that toured around with the Grateful Dead and had the times of our lives and fell in love with it. My name's James Bear, and I'm a resident of Bonnie Doon, California. I do carpentry and remodeling for work. Around three o'clock in the morning, something woke me up just like not right. The treetops were going like, you know, like a freight train. It was happening so quick, there was no evacuation. There was no coordination through CAL FIRE for the first two nights. It was just chaos. I didn't want to go into the mentality of taking everything because I also didn't want to like visualize or manifest the fire happening. The crucial thing is I have a vintage Carmen Ghia convertible, which I restored 12 years ago. So save that. And the last thing I did is actually I went out into my garden. I just sat for a little while, picked a few cucumbers and just, you know, touched the earth. And I was like, I hope, I hope it works out. Sometime that night, the fire double backed and just took the, that part of our neighborhood. A long time ago, I got myself into a situation where I had to do some community service for the county, and that entailed uh, working for Caltrans, picking up trash along the side of the road. And I found this Buddha statue just in the weeds. I found that buried in the ashes, and I don't know how it did it, but bridge of the nose and across the eyes, the head just melted and slipped off to the right side. I found that and I just started laughing. It's just like, well, that's, that's what enlightenment is. You know, you just, you get it and your head just blows open. That just brought everything of my 30 years of meditation and yoga practice into fully comprehending impermanence and how beautiful it is because that's the only thing that exists. Impermanence. In the Carmen Ghia. I still drive it up to Bonnie Dune on the weekends. 13 mile drives through a winding, twisty mountain road with no traffic, or you know, just turn on the Grateful Dead and let the wind blow on my hair, and just it's joy. What Fire Reveals was produced by the Kitchen Sisters in collaboration with Grace Rubin, Brandy Howell, and Nathan Dalton. Mixed by Jim McKee. Special thanks to photographer Shmuel Thaler, Jacob Conrad, the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History, the Dolkas Mertz History Forum Award, the Amamutsen Land Trust and Land Stewardship Program, California State Parks. Special thanks to the California Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. You can see a video featuring many more stories and Shmuel Thaler's incredible photographs at kitchensisters.org. Funding for the Kitchen Sisters comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, the Kalita A. Doolin Foundation, the Franklin Legacy Fund, the Robert Sillins Family Foundation, and listener contributions to the Kitchen Sisters productions. The Kitchen Sisters Present is part of Radiotopia from PRX, a curated network of extraordinary cutting-edge podcasts created by independent producers.
It's an election year, have you noticed? But does it feel like our democracy is running smoothly? Does it feel like our leaders are responsive to our needs? If you don't think so, you're not alone. So the question is, how can we start to fix it? Luckily, there are things we can do right now to get us back on track. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group of shows, hosts, and networks who are banding together to try and make things better. We're partnering with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization working city by city and state by state to pass laws that protect democracy and improve it. We need a system that works for the American people, not just special interests. And you can do your part. Go to represent.us slash podcast. That's represent.us slash podcast to join the movement today. 